Matthew chapter 14. And this morning we are just going to cover verses 1 through 12 as we study this incredible study together. It says in verse 1, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Oh, we need, I think we need that light on. Because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's brother or birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. And therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. And so she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, because of the oaths. And because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. And so he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. You know, part of me just wants to kind of jet through the Bible, you guys, um, just to cover the whole chapter and just, you know, be able to say, hey, I taught the whole New Testament or the Old Testament to the church. But you know, sometimes I think the Lord wants us to slow down a little bit and to be able to dig in and to really pull out uh, the things that are there before us. Now, one of the things that you got to understand whenever you're t- uh, studying the Bible is that, you know what, the Bible is so deep that we will never really be able to exhaust everything that's there. Uh, they say that theologians will never touch the bottom. We could really spend, you know, every study on, on one single verse But as we go through our text this morning, there's a few things, I think, that are important for us to come away with. And and one of the things that we're going to look at today is the whole idea of purity, purity. Uh, Second thing we're going to look at today is the idea of prophecy, prophecy. And then the third thing that we'll study today together as a congregation is the concept of providence, providence. Now, when we look at this, the first thing we see here in verse 1 is that Herod the Tetrarch, he heard the report about Jesus, and he said to his servants that this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. You know, just as a quick side note, some people think that, you know, that can happen, that, you know, someone can die and then, you know, reincarnate into another person or another, you know, figure, a bug. The Hindus believe this, the Buddhists believe this, but we as Christians, we don't believe in reincarnation. We believe, like the Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. But Herod was haunted by what he had done. We see as we read through the text that Herod had killed the greatest prophet ever born of a woman. And as a result of that, he was haunted by that. Now, just a little background on this, I think in order for us to understand, we need to know regarding Herod that Herod the Great was his father, and then when he died, his region was then divided into probably three sections. The title 
that we have here, tetrarch, originally meant ruler of the fourth of the territory, but eventually the Romans applied it to rulers of any portion of territory. And so the, the, the word here, tetrarch, it, it just basically means ruler. And that's what Herod Antipas was. He was the ruler over Perea, over Galilee, from the time of 4 B.C. to 39 A.D. Now, this guy, Herod Antipas, he was not a good man. He was a very selfish and self-indulgent ruler. We have that etched in history. He was not a good guy. As a matter of fact, later, when the Lord Jesus Christ was brought before him, we read that in Luke 23, verse 9, Jesus didn't even give him the time of day. This guy was so selfish, so self-indulgent, so wicked that Jesus Christ would not even speak a word to him. He, he was a really bad guy. According to Josephus, the Jewish historian, this Herod Antipas, what had happened is he had married the daughter of King Aretas. So that's an area over there in Petra. And it was probably a political marriage that was arranged by the emperor in order to keep peace in the region. And so they were married, uh, according to history, for 15 years. But one day, Herod Antipas, this guy that we're reading right here, he was on a journey to Rome. And as he was on this journey, he stayed in his brother's house. His brother's name was Philip. And while he was there, he fell in love with his brother's wife. He seduced her according to history. They then determined to marry, but Herodias demanded that Antipas first divorce his wife. And so what Herod Antipas did was he divorced his wife. He literally sent her home, and then he brought Herodias to himself, and he married her. He stole his brother's wife, and he called it love. He thought he was in love with her. He defiantly disobeyed God's word. You know, the Herods, you know, it's kind of a weird thing. They're kind of like the typical politician, half Jew and kind of like a half Christian. You know, they would name the name of the Lord, but they didn't really live the life. And so when it worked for his, you know, agenda, he would say he was a Jew. When it didn't, he would then, you know, just do his own thing. And that's what Herod Antipas was. And so you look at the background right here, and as a result of him in this sin, John the Baptist spoke out publicly against him. Literally in the Greek, he said it over and over and over again. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And as a result of John's stand for righteousness, he was arrested by the authorities and eventually he was executed. Now, in reading this, what, what, what can we learn, you guys, today? I mean, here we are, it's 2,000 years later. How does this apply to us here in the United States of America? How does it apply to us as California Christians, you know? And, and there's a lot here, but I just, as prayerfully going over this text, I think three things really stand out. And the first thing that I think we need to just come to grips with and just have in our hearts, we learn is just the whole concept of purity. Purity. You know, I wish I could say that what we read right here is a rare occurrence, that husbands never fall in love with other people, that a man would never, ever leave his wife for another woman. 
But unfortunately, in the world that we live in today, things have rotted so radically that a man will, man, just he'll be quick to leave his wife for another woman at the blink of an eye, at the beat of a heart. That's the society that we live in today. Things have rotted so radically that a man will leave his wife for another man. That's where we live today, you guys. And we have to make sure that we don't get desensitized to these things. We live in a world today where a woman will leave her husband and she'll give the excuse, I'm just a desperate housewife, and all of America embraces it. And the church embraces it. And they lower the standards. And they don't understand what God teaches. You know, I just want to share with you guys this morning, man, before it's too late in your life, I just pray that we would remember the sanctity of marriage. That we as God's people would embrace purity. That we really would. You know, I just pray even here in this congregation, you know, and you might think, oh, you know, it won't happen here. We're all right on. There's only, you know, a small group of us here and it wouldn't happen. But you want to know something? It will. It can. If we don't, man, make sure that we tuck these things away in our heart because that this temptation is always there. It's like, you know, always before us. If you're alive, you know. I just pray, though, that among us, that there would not be another affair that no one else would fall in this fellowship, that we would have a passion for purity. And I just have to say that to you guys with all my heart because I know that even here, there are some today, this morning, I know that you've let your guard down because statistics tell us that in the church, this, it's the same thing. That, you know, they're looking at pornography out there in the world and so are they in the church. You know, Ezekiel talks about that, how they drilled the hole and they looked in the wall of the church and they kind of peered in to see what was really going on. And as they looked closer, they saw the sin that was in the church. And I just want to encourage you guys. I want to warn you guys regarding this, that we wouldn't fall to the flesh. You know, we see in the church the statistics are the same pornography, adultery, fornication, and divorce. And so this morning as we begin, I just beg of you, God begs of you to be people of purity. Don't flirt with anyone. Stop flirting. The Bible says, can a man take fire to his bosom and not be burned? You can't flirt with someone and not suffer for it. We have to have clean hands. Maybe you're here today and you're having an affair. I just encourage you to understand what God's word says. Maybe you're contemplating the whole thought. I just want to just let you know that that will ruin your life. It only brings so much suffering to so many people, devastation, divorce. And what ends up happening, even for the rest of their lives, is that people suffer now god can forgive this absolutely man but please remember there's consequences even of forgiven sin and god can give you a brand new start today and you can go forward and man god can still use your life but we must not take this lightly you know maybe you're here today and you're not having a physical affair but maybe you're here today and you're having an emotional affair that someone other than your spouse has really captured your heart that happens a lot please you guys don't even begin to dabble 
with that. Flee that fire. You know, John the Baptist, he says right there in verse 4, it's not lawful for you to have her. It's not right. And remember what John the Baptist said, no matter what your body tells you, no matter what the world tells you, it's not right. And God, may he just convict us with that truth. No matter what the world says. What does the world say? The world says it's okay, right? They give out condoms to the kids to cover their sin. They're just infiltrating us from Hollywood, the movies, the music. They tell us just do it no matter what if your body wants it. And we just got to make sure that we go against the flow. We need to mind the message, take it to heart, that we would be sexually sanctified to God and rediscovering really what true love is. True love. The love of a husband and wife. The love of God for the single person. I just want to encourage you guys to make sure that you have this, that you go against the flow. I know it can be tough. We definitely, if you decide today to stay pure, if you decide today to wait until you're married, Married, if you decide today that there's no other one but my wife and my husband in my heart, then you are going to go against the flow. You really are. It'll be like trying to drive in the wrong direction on the freeway. Everybody's going in the wrong direction. (laughs) And we want to go in, in the right direction. That's how tough it can be. But God can help us. Because we have three enemies, the flesh, the world, and Satan, right? And the flesh is that internal foe, right? The world is the external foe. And Satan is the infernal foe. It's like his flame, right? And it just it's a tough thing. But we need the power of the Lord. He can help us in this. Proverbs 22, 11, it says this, He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. Oh, I just pray you guys would love purity of heart. 1 Timothy 5.2, it teaches the sisters to be pure. 1 Timothy 4.12, it teaches the young people to be pure. You know, I think my favorite example, and I think probably the most common example of purity is Joseph. We read his life over in the book of Genesis chapter 39, where when you read the story there, what had happened was his boss's wife, Potiphar's wife, man, wanted to be with him. She really wanted to be with him. She didn't beat around the bush. She said to him every single day, lie with me. Every day she tempted him in that way, just like many of us are tempted every single day, right? And so we need to take heart. What did Joseph do? Well, you know, if he wanted to, he probably could have justified the sin for many reasons. He could have said, you know what, poor Potiphar's wife, she's so neglected. You know, I see the things that she's going through. I mean, she's absolutely okay with this, and man, she is beautiful. You know, he could have said, I've been through this, so many things that are going on in my life. I was sold into slavery, and here I am as a young man in the middle of all these things. And he could have justified it. My body wants this. I deserve this. We can get away with this. He could have even said, I love her. But that's not love. It's not love. He could have justified it if he wanted to. But what did Joseph do? You guys know, right? What did he do? He split, huh? He fled. He ran so hard and fast that when she grabbed hold of his clothing, you know, it it just got torn off, man. Talk about running 
fast and hard away. And that's what we need to do as well. You know, Joseph said, I, I can't do this. I just can't do this to God or to man. Joseph wasn't like Herod that we read here in Matthew 14. He wasn't like Herodias. He held to his integrity. He held to his purity. He believed in fidelity. And God blessed his life. God really did. Herod, unfortunately, he wouldn't listen to the warnings of the prophet. And because he didn't repent, it eventually brought more judgment to his life. It's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, that was a problem that he had. Just like a lot of times, guys and gals, they might have that problem and they don't really deal with it. They don't really get rid of it, especially, you know, and I don't know how it's going to be when I get older. You know, I, I know it's always there probably, but some of you young guys here, young guys especially, you, gotta, you just got to give this to the Lord, man. You really do have to make that choice to be pure. You know, because that's what we see in the Bible. Joseph was probably just a young man. Some people say maybe even 17 years old. But he decided to stay pure for the Lord. Unfortunately, though, he wouldn't get right in this area. He wouldn't listen to God. He wouldn't listen to God. And so what ended up happening? Well, you know, he probably was a man who lusted after every chick. You know, I don't know if they had pornography in those days, but if they did, he'd be checking it out. He'd be online looking at all those images, taking it all in. And then one day, it was a trap, man. Herodias' daughter, she danced before him. And it was a seductive dance. It was a pornographic dance. It was everything that he wanted, and it hit him so hard that he just exploded. He said, man, whatever you want, he said to her, I'll give you anything, up to half the kingdom. How foolish. And so she said, talked to her mom, we want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And he didn't really want to do it, but the sin had ruined him. And so what ended up happening? He gave the orders, and they cut off John's head. Okay? You know what that means? he will receive greater judgment because he cut off the head of the prophet, the great prophet, whom Jesus said was the greatest prophet born of a woman. He cut off his head and he will receive greater judgment. You see, if we don't repent, if we don't get right, then that's what sin will do to us. In America today, we need to hear the message of sexual sanctification, that we as a church would determine today to be people of purity. We don't want to go down the same route that Herod went. God can give you a new start. You must give him your body. It's so important for us, you guys, to have that in our heart. Another message that we learn in our text today not just the message of purity, but we also learn the message of prophecy. Prophecy. And, you know, to prophesy, it means to foretell or foretell God's word, and God still does foretell. But, you know, a lot of what's going on today is we foretell God's word. We just sp simply speak the word of God. And that is what John was doing, huh? 
He was this man. He was a man of conviction. He was a man that would tell the word of God. He, he wasn't a man who would try to tickle people's ears. No, he wanted to share the word of God. You know, he probably knew Leviticus chapter 18, verse 16. The Bible says, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. He probably knew Leviticus 20, verse 21. If a man takes his brother's wife, it's an unclean thing. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. He probably knew the word of God well. John knew the word of the Lord, and John spoke the word of the Lord, even if it was an unpopular and politically incorrect or even dangerous message to preach. He knew his responsibility, just like we need to know our responsibility. You know, we're not here to please men. We are here to please God. He knew that as a prophet, he had the gift and responsibility to call sin, sin. What a contrast he is to this guy named Herod. You know, I just pray that we would understand these things, guys. That, you know, we would fear the Lord. That we would fear God. Herod, unfortunately, feared the people. It says there in verse 5 that he feared the multitude because they counted John as a prophet. I mean, you know, he should have feared God instead of fearing the masses or fearing the multitude or fearing any man. We must fear God first. And so I just want to encourage you today as we look at the word and we try to just pull out of what God is speaking here. Number one, that we would be people of purity. Don't go down the road of Herod or Herodias or the whole world. Stay pure. Wait until you get married. So important. Secondly, we learn regarding prophecy that no matter what you know the world is saying, whatever is politically correct, even what's dangerous one day, I was telling my kids, you know, the day may come when it's against the law to preach against sin, to you know, call, uh, you know, homosexuality sin, I mean, and different things, you know. And I was saying, well, what would happen if I was teaching Romans chapter 1 and it's been against the law, what would I do? And they said, Dad, you've got to do what's right. You've got to teach the word of God. And, and that's what we need to do. We need to make sure that we fear God. I just want to encourage you guys in that. We might not be a herald like John the Baptist, but we need to have a heart like John the Baptist. I believe that all of us here need to be prophets and not politicians. And I say that generally speaking because usually what do we see? That politicians just speak the things that men want to hear, huh? What are, you know, um, I don't know, Hillary and what's the other guy's name? Um, Obama. What are they saying? They're just saying, you know, the things that people want to hear so that they can get elected, right? To make people happy, to make sure they don't ruffle any feathers. And if they do, if a little feather gets ruffled, oh, man. <laughs> It's a big news, right? And so they have to go back. Well, let me explain what I was saying. I'm, I'm sorry for that. And, you know, things. They're just, no, we can't be that way. We have to have conviction, what's right or wrong, and then just stand on God's word. Politicians, usually, they speak to gain the favor of men. There are some exceptions. They want votes. They want popular opinion. And most of the time, they lack personal conviction. Herod was like that. Herod was very weak. He feared his wife, and that's, that's, sometimes that's okay. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> he feared the multitudes. He feared his friends. Oh, man, I made this oath in their presence. What will they think of me if I don't follow through on it, you know? 
And I just want to say to you today that that is a terrible state to live in. It really is. It really is a terrible place. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 25, that the fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Remember, you guys, the safest place to be is in the will of God, and that's why we must speak the word of God. You know, and for me, I'll be honest with you guys, that's not easy for me to do in life. I think I've shared with you before that by nature, I don't like to offend people. You know, it's just the way that I was wired as an individual. You know, there are some people, they have no problem, man. They're blunt, boom, they'll, they'll still hit you anytime, you know. But by nature, that's not me. But yet God's called me to share his word, and so I have to go against the grain of who I am. By nature, you know, I like to tickle my son, and, I, you know, I would like to tickle your ears. Oh, man, they walk out, and everybody's laughing. Everybody feels good about themselves. That's what I would like to do by nature, but I can't do that, and neither can you. I would love to tell you all that we're all okay. Oh, you guys are all okay, man. Just go have a cheeseburger or something. I would love to tell you guys things like that. Everybody messes up, and don't worry about it. No one's perfect. Cheer up, chin up. You know, God is the air beneath your wings, and you're going to be all right and stuff, you know? And just to give like a positive message like that. But we can't. We must call sin what it is. We are a holy people. And God is a holy God. And we have that balance where, you know what, today, no matter what, if you will turn to God, he will wash away and forgive any sin, any sin. He'll give you a brand new start if you turn from your sin. And then we have the message of holiness. See, it balances out. We must make sure that we don't speak to please man. You know, the Bible says in Numbers 22, verse 38, the prophet said, look, I have come to you now have I any power at all to say anything? No. The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. Numbers twenty three twelve. it says the same thing. So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my heart? That's all we can speak. And so the main thing here is, I just want to encourage you guys today to not be people-pleasing politicians. Instead, let's be God-pleasing prophets, saying things and doing things to please God first, even if it costs us dearly, even if it costs us our friends, even if it costs us our life, to make sure we have that conviction in our heart. I mean, that's the way the apostles were. And remember in Acts chapter 4 and verses 18 through 20, it says, And they called them and they commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. But we will only speak the things which we have seen and heard. I hate offending people. But sometimes you have to hurt people in order to help people. Because in the long run, we want you to go to heaven. In the long run, we want God's blessing and anointing on your life. And that's why we have to teach God's word. You know, the apostles were truly transformed into God-pleasers and not man-pleasers. I mean, many books have been written uh, regarding this. There's even a song by a guy named Stephen Curtis Chapman uh, on this uh, whole topic. And let me just read to you a few lyrics or maybe we should play this song, huh? No? Okay. <laughs> this is what he says. He says, so here I go again, again. I've let myself get spread so thin. I can see right through my skin. 
And I don't like what I'm finding in my heart. So many different voices call. And I try hard to please them all. I run in circles till I fall. So I'm falling on my knees and praying, please, 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 only you, only you. Please, please, please take my heart and make it true. Let everything I say and do, please, 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 only you. And as you have that in your heart, and you just want to please the Lord and, and not men, you know, you guys are going to be okay. You'll be like John the Baptist or Joan the Baptist or whatever God calls you to do. I like what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. It says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 29, look at what he said. He said, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. Why? For I always do those things that please him. And so I just pray we would not be that typical politician. It's so easy to fall into that in life, isn't it? It really is, you guys. Let's make sure that we have a heart of purity, that we have the concept of you know, being a prophet, prophecy, and then the last thing that we'll look at today is the word we learn about, and that is providence. You look at this whole story right here, and you know, you might wonder, I know that if you were to think it through for a while, man, why did John die so young? And that might be a question you have. I mean, he was a good man, huh? Wasn't he? I mean, we just got done saying he was willing to call sin, sin. He was a man of purity. He was a man of integrity. I mean, we just got done saying that he was a man of prophecy, that he was so right on for the Lord, straight edge. Why did he die so young? I mean, in one sense, he was a pure prophet, the greatest one born of a woman. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, and it was a great thing that was going on there when you look at the ministry of John the Baptist. I mean, thousands were getting baptized by him. His preaching was so powerful. He stood up to the religious leaders who were not rooted in the scriptures. And, you know, we would think that if just he was allowed to live, I'm sure revival would have been a reality. That's what we think. And so you wonder, why did he die so young? Well, some might say it's because of the sin of Herod, the sin of Herodias. That's why he died so young. And that's, you know, partially true. But you guys stop and think about this. Those of you who know the word, you know the Lord, and you believe in God, the God of the Bible, he could have intervened. He could have stopped it. I mean, just like he did Peter and John in Acts chapter 5, verse 19. He sent an angel to rescue them from prison. Just like he did later on, Peter, Acts chapter 12, verse 7, the angels came and set them free. Why didn't he do that with John? Instead, what ends up happening? You look at the story right here, what ends up happening? They cut off his head, they put it on a platter. His disciples come and they take the body and they bury it, but more than likely his head was desecrated, eaten by dogs and birds. That was the worst thing that could happen to a Jewish person. The worst. God, why? 
would you allow this to happen to John? And we have to come back to the whole understanding of Providence, you guys. Providence is not just the capital of Rhode Island, for all you geography students out there. Providence speaks of God's divine guidance and care. How God is in control of all the things that are going on. And even though a lot of times what ends up happening in my life, I feel like a little two-year-old who doesn't get his own way, and he kicks and he screams, that's how we are when we don't simply yield to the Lord. Now, some people say, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. You're sitting down on the outside, but you're standing up on the inside, and you know that's going on. And God is real. He's realer than that. And we have to yield to him from our hearts and just submit to him and all the things that are going on. You know, we look at the whole story here and, you know, all of our questions as Christians, man, are, they're answered really in this one truth. Romans eight twenty eight. All, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. I mean, you might have questions today, and I don't know what you're going through in your life, but you might, you know, have questions. Lord, why did, you know, she die so young? Or why did he die like that? God, why did you take my child? Or God, why can't I have a child? Lord, why is there so much suffering in the world today? Lord, why is there so much suffering in my life every day? And we have all these questions. Lord, why aren't I married yet? Or why am I still married? No, I'm just joking. You wouldn't say that. <laughs> you know. I mean, we have all these questions. Why do I go through the things I go through? Some people even ask, and I know some people even ask this, why am I still here? And we have all these questions. And all I can say to you is you've got to yield to God's love, God's power, God's sovereignty. Nothing touches you unless he allows it. He's on the throne, full control, and he loves you. And when we have that in our heart, we have a peace. I see a lot of people in the church, they're bitter. They're mad at that person. They blame them. And we could blame Herod if we wanted to. We could blame Herodias. And they walk around and they're bitter. They're not better. Why? Because they don't really understand that God is in full control. All things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. You know what I learned at Cal Poly? I learned when I went to the university that all means all. That's all all means. See, they taught me that as my doctorate. No, all things, all things, all things. Not all things are good, but all things work together for good to those who love God. I mean, we look at John the Baptist and we could never figure this one out. You know, and we can't. That's okay, man. But God knows what he's doing. He really does. There are no oops in God's vocabulary. And, and you know, we look at this this morning and God says, hey, listen, man, wherever you're going through, whatever the pain is, whatever the questions are, I want you to know my son, my daughter, I want you to know that I have a plan in this. And I have a purpose in this. You're going to see maybe one day 
But you need to know this. Like the Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, it's a long ways. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And it's just so cool, you guys, as we close this morning, I just pray that you would take this to heart because I know just the way it is that many of you here are going through tough times. It's difficult to understand. And you know, if not, you know, you will one day probably pretty soon understand it, but I know things pile up and I just really want to encourage you guys today to really open up, to really look up and to know that God has a plan. You know, what did Joseph tell his brothers who had sold him into slavery? You know, years later, when he was able to look back, what did he say? There in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And what did God do? God saved the nations through his adversity. You know, John the Baptist, he died such a young and tragic death, and I'm sure there were many who didn't understand And there were probably some who, after he died, then questioned whether he was of the Lord at all. We can't figure it out on this side of time. But now, we look back with 2020, there's that hindsight. We look back, and now we can see the good. You know, we can see that he finished the race that he was called to run, that he finished as the forerunner of Jesus Christ, that when he died, he went to God in glory that he was taken out of the picture so that the people could focus on Jesus Christ. And that is a great thing. It really is. He said in John 3, verse 30, I must decrease, he must increase. And so God took him home. And we look at the wisdom of God and we realize, hey, there's only one bridegroom. We're just the friends of the bridegroom. And we rejoice in that. And so in closing today, I just want to give you guys again just three things of application. We learned this morning about purity as we just see the mistake of Herod and Herodias. And so I just want to beg you today, wait on God. Be faithful to your spouse. We learned today regarding prophecy. And I want to encourage you, please, only God. Please Him first. And then we learn today regarding providence. And where does that one end up? Well, it just ends up in this, man. Trust God. Trust God. He is doing such a beautiful work in your life. And there is no one that can stop the amazing things that God has for us. Let me close today by reading to you a, a, an email that I got. And, you know, because you look at the things that are going on to this study and you're like, wow, you know, purity, that's kind of a cool thing. And, and uh, prophecy, being people of the word and of the Lord, that's a good thing. You know, basically, what is it? It's just being, being Christians. Act like Christians. That's what God wants, right? And I got this email, it's kind of cool. And let me read it to you. It's a story about one day uh, there was a man who was being tailgated by a stressed out woman on a busy boulevard. And suddenly the light turned yellow just in front of him. And, you know, he did the right thing. This is what we're supposed to do, man. He stopped there at the crosswalk. Even though if he wanted to step on the accelerator, he probably could have beaten the light. No, he did the right thing. He stopped there 
on the crosswalk. And so what did the lady do that was tailgating him? Oh, man, she was upset. Just like sometimes you guys do that, right? <laughs> and the tailgating woman was furious, and she honked her horn, and she screamed in frustration, and she gave him the one-way sign, and she did all these things, you know? And, and there she was still in her rage, and then she heard like a tap on the window, and she looked up, and there she saw the face of a very serious police officer. And so the officer ordered her to get out of the car, to put her hands up. And then he took her to the police station where she was searched and fingerprinted and photographed. And she was placed in a holding cell. And after a couple of hours, a policeman approached the cell. He opened the door and she was escorted back to the booking desk where the officer asked her and so said to her, I'm very sorry for the mistake. You see, what happened was I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn and giving this man the one-way sign. <laughs> and there you were in your frustration and rage. And then I looked at your car and I noticed there was a fish on there and there was a bumper sticker saying Jesus is the way and you had a K-Wave sticker there. And I, and I just thought for sure, this car is stolen. <laughs> And so after doing a, a little research, I, I found out, oh, man, it's, it's not so hurt. You're a Christian after all, so I'm sorry. You can, I guess, go your way. And, and, I, and I guess the, the moral of the story is this. If you say you're a Christian, then act like a Christian. Walk like a Christian. Live like a Christian. Okay? All right, let's pray. Otherwise, you might go to jail, man. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for your love. And Lord, I just pray that you would just continue to work in our lives, that you would remind us today that you can wash away all our sins. And yet you are so willing to do that, Lord. I just pray that today that we would turn to you, that we would give our life to you, that you would yield everything to you, Lord, and that we would just know how awesome you are, Father. Thank you so much for your word. Lord, make us people of purity. Make us people of prophecy. Make us people who totally rest in your providence, Lord, today. I just love you. I thank you. Be with us now, Lord, as we go, as we fellowship uh, for the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of our life. God, we believe in you. We believe you are going to do great and mighty things. Lead us as a church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's all stand and we'll close with a song.